Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. And uh, if you're here visiting today, welcome. We're in the midst of a, uh, a series on discipleship. We're calling it Full Spectrum Discipleship. And uh, we're, I think, six or seven, I think we're seven weeks in here. So we're, we're nearing the end of an eight-part series. And uh, we're looking today at how do we actually show one another how to live a different kind of life, or how to live a life devoted to Jesus Christ. And it's in essence saying, look, we've, we've heard all of these truths. We know that they are all true. We accept that. We embrace that. That's great. Now, what does it actually look like to live a life out if we know that God is sovereign, or if we know that heaven is sure, or if we know that we must be about sharing and teaching the gospel to the people around us. I mean, how do we actually do that? When life starts to fade or get difficult, when we go through financial stress, I mean, how does it, does it actually come to be that we teach one another? And so uh, in this passage today, Paul is just saying, look, if all the things that we say are true are true, then... Uh, we're going to have to show each other, show new believers, show children, show them how it looks in our life day after day. The reality is, guys, we live in a world that doesn't like this very much. We're in graduation season a little bit, and we're going to hear graduation speech after graduation speech of saying, don't look to the people around you, blaze your own trail. Don't follow the example of the people around you. You know, the, the American way seems like it's individualism and do-it-yourself, and if we let that seep into the church, we have a bunch of people in this church who are not learning from one another, and we privatize our lives, and we're not being conformed to the image of Jesus, and taking the, the best of what our brothers or sisters around us can show us, and we're trying to do this on our own. And, and within the context, especially of the church, we got to be able to say, look, that's... That, that, idea that paradigm that's not working if we're transformed by the work of jesus christ then we need to look to one another and humble ourselves and learn from the people around us what it looks like to actually put our faith in action day after day so that's the heartbeat of this that in the midst of 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 a heart for discipleship one of the great places we're going to learn is from watching the lives of the people around us who are a little bit ahead of us and eventually coming to the point where we say to the people around us, look at my life. Look at my life. It's devoted to Jesus. Not perfect, but devoted to Jesus. And so that's our heart today as we look into Philippians chapter 3. So what I'd love to do is read Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. It won't take us long to read these verses, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump in right together, okay? So let's do that. Brothers, Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So, Father, help us, teach us, grow us today. Uh, You're not going to do that, Lord, as we um, simply hear words that I put out there. The reality is the Spirit has to lead us into the Word, and then the Spirit has to apply that to our hearts and lives, and then we, um, well, then we got to follow through, and we have to have a will to change. So help us with all of those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, the last thing in the world we want after spending 20 years together in ministry, or 10 years, or if you're newer, three weeks here at the Evangelical Free Church, the last thing in the world we want is to say, well, here's what it looks like to follow the program, get with the program at the Sheboygan Evangelical Free Church. You know where to deliver your potluck dish to. You know where to pick up your potluck dish from. You know where to drop your kids off. You know what's expected in terms of dress or talk. You know what it means when we say ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship. All those things, and that's great. But if after 20 years of being in the church, or 10 years, or three weeks, you get the impression somewhere along the line that our big goal is for you to get with the program and know the culture of this church, and that's it. All those kind of where to drop off and pick up and and what's expected, uh, we got trouble. Because that's not what it looks like to follow after Jesus. That's what it looks like to do church here. Well, we want to do church and follow Jesus That is, give ourselves over to him in every way. That is, him to transform your character and make it tomorrow something it's not today. And so we give ourselves over to being changed and transformed. A.W. Tozer wrote this, A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He or she, I'm just going to go with he, because he says he a lot. And I don't want to say he or she every time. All right, so I'm just going to say he, I hope you know. I'm not a sexist, I'm just saying he today, all right? Later, I'll use she for something, all right? All right, so here we go. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He, he feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen. Talks familiarly every day with someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, and richest when he is poorest. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes understanding. How are we going to live that out? Where is there an example of a person whose life emulates those qualities? Because we can't just go around saying that all the time and then saying, well, the longer you say at the church, the more you know the program. Our life is, is to be given away. It's to be upside down. We're to be like this culture within the culture that is completely different. We don't live like the people around us. And so we've got to be taught and to see the character of Jesus, and it's a beautiful thing when we can see it in the people with whom we walk. And that is the idea, that we are modeling 
transformation. We are modeling being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ day after day together. And, and Paul is kind of unpacking and saying, look, if you, you want to see the beginnings of what this upside-down Christian life looks like, the character of Jesus in a person, well, I, I just want to volunteer, let my life be first, one of the first things you consider. So look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. First things first, I want us to see as we, number one, are kind of trying to figure out how do we choose an example to follow? How do we choose an example to follow? Well, first things first, brothers. The word there, it's the third time that that word is used in this passage. And Paul is saying we're a family here. And, and everybody who's in Christ Jesus is a part of that family. And so... Uh, what it looks like is to understand that, that uh, Jesus Christ is the basis for which we have peace before God and in God. So we lived a disobedient life and the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die for sin. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he took on him the wrath of God against your sin, against my sin. And not only that, it's not enough to not be sinful to get to heaven. We have to have righteousness. We have to live with righteousness. And as we consider this idea of how to choose an example to follow, we we are looking to Jesus, and and, and that example to follow is is a brother, someone who's in Christ Jesus. So we need a perfect human life, and none of us have lived a perfect human life. Christ lived a perfect human life. So he accomplished all that the law demanded had to be accomplished. So we look to him and we understand that if we're going to be a brother, if we're going to be in the family of faith, that we have to trust Jesus Christ in him alone and understand that he took God's wrath against our sin on him and that he gives us his righteousness. And there's no other way to have peace with God except through Jesus Christ. All of that trying to kind of tie back to this idea brothers. So what what I'm saying is we're not a brother or a sister in Christ just because we've attended the church long enough, because we've gone to the uh, membership class, or because we've familiarized ourselves with hallways and and drop-offs and pickups. Right? We're in Christ Jesus as we meet with him and understand he took on him our penalty and we get his life as we give ourselves over to him fully and experience a transformation. You know, where We are actually rejuvenated in Christ. That is, we, we are con- converted to him. So first things first is we choose a, a mentor, we choose a, a, excuse me, a discipler. We're choosing somebody who is a part of the family of faith, a brother in Christ. He says, then, join in imitating me. We do not, as we already said, we don't live in a culture that wants to imitate other people. They want to, they want to do their own thing. So how do we establish a discipleship culture in this church, in this place, where people choose to model their life after other people following Christ in this place. How do we do that? 
Well, we've got to have converted leaders, and then we've got to have people who are humble enough to have their lives changed. Consider Paul. He's saying, look, follow after me. I'll give you an example. If you think about the things we learned from Paul, they are incredible. I'm just going to kind of walk you through a few things from from Philippians chapter 3, right before the verses we're looking at. So right before verses 17 through 21, Paul is kind of given his story of how his life was totally transformed by the, the work that Jesus did on his behalf. So if we look at verse uh, like 4 through 7, um, we see that uh, he has reason to have confidence in his flesh if you look at his life religiously. In other words, he could just say, well, look, if there's anybody who's religious enough to get to heaven, it was me. Remember, he was a Pharisee. Remember, he went to the best schools. Remember, he learned everything there was to know about the Old Testament scriptures. And so he's saying, look, I, I don't trust my religiousness to get me to heaven. So you and I need a mentor who is humble enough to say, I know there is no human thing I could do to make myself right before God. Even the most spiritual, religious person among us, Paul, in this case, would say, no, there is no way I can trust that. It's just not good enough. Okay? As he continues uh, and, and is speaking about joining and imitating me, we see that Paul's life is transformed not only in the fact that he doesn't trust himself, but look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. His controlling passion is not to get with the program. It's that in everyday life, all throughout his life, he would know Jesus. He spent time with him. He was transformed by him. And for you and I to to have a mentor who's humble enough to say it wasn't about me, it was never about me, and and I just long to know him more and more. That's my controlling principle. And so Paul isn't isn't, uh, brashly kind of saying, you know, look at me, I'm the man. He's saying my life has been steadily, incrementally, over a long period of time changed by the working of Christ. You know, when Paul wrote this, he had been a, a believer for about 25 years. And I don't know where you are on your pathway in terms of following after Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some there's people in here today that are, you would freely say, I have not yet chosen to follow Christ. That's great. I'm so glad you're here to look at Paul's life with us today and learn from him. Maybe there's somebody who you're in like the, the initial stages, you know, a few months in. And listen, I encourage you to look for those examples around you. But Paul had been in Christ for 25 years. I mean, you consider the way that he was transformed, that he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. The people could look at his life and see the old Paul. Remember Paul in Acts chapter 6, 7, 8. Remember Paul when he stood by and he was persecuting the Christians. Remember that Saul? He even changed his name. Because he changed so much. So so the Christian world at the time saw the transformation over a long period of time that had taken place in Paul's life. And and Paul was willing to say, you know, I basically lived my life before you all these years. You've begun to see how my life has been changed. And it's not just a program change. It's a character of Christ kind of change. I'm all in. I'm teaching the word of God. I, I am about loving Jesus. And so let me put my life out there, he says here, as a, as a model to follow after. And the people could, could examine what he was through, what he was, had gone through all, all his life. Well, here's my point. 
at some point in your life. Maybe it's after 25 years. Maybe it's long before that for some of us. I long for us to be the kind of place where we say to one another, follow after me insofar as the character of Christ is being remade in my life. I did a Google search yesterday for my office and I was looking for all of the songs that say, follow me as I follow Christ. I didn't come up with any. Not one. It is very out of vogue to be so brash as to say, follow me as I follow Christ. But can, you, can I tell you something? This church is controlled. Every church is controlled by follow me as I follow Christ. Your children will grow up necessarily following you. As you say, I believe that God is sovereign and this is how it's worked out in my attitudes and daily actions. I believe that God is in control. This is how it's worked out in my anxiety level. I believe that God is good. This is how it works out in my attitude day after day of actually living. And so we teach our kids and one another all of these platitudes and truths about God. And here's the question, is your heart truly changed by what you know to be true about God? Because listen, Nothing will confuse my kids and your kids faster by a dad, a mom, who says, I know God's in control, but I am constantly out of control. I know that God is good, but I always complain about him. I know that God will have my back in the end, but in the meantime, I'm angry. You know, so we teach our, the, our kids grow up, and there's no way that they can't be seeing in you and me what the fruit, the fruit, the, the truths that we say we believe. And so that's not looking for parents or any discipler in this place to be perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all going to get bad news and need some time to adjust and, and think through it. We're all going to go through dark days that are harder than we ever thought we, we would go through. And in those moments, my prayer is that we have examples around us that are praying and holding us up and helping us through those dark days. If you've gone through a, I believe this, but I act like that kind of moment, welcome to the human existence. That's who we are, man. The beauty is to, I, I did that kind of thing, it's over the course of time more and more that what I believe and how I respond are very consistent. And that's when you begin to have impact, and that's when Paul started saying, follow me as I followed Christ. Because our kids don't need to just know some information. They need to see it actually changing my life. And so Paul says, well, this, this information about Christ Jesus, it's changed my life. Let me give you a couple quick examples. Turn back to Philippians chapter 1. How's it changed your life? Let, let, me put, let me put you in this position, okay? So let's say that you are in a situation where you are asking, why don't people around me do more for me? It's a natural response, right? I'm following Christ, but man, if all the people at church are following Christ, why can't they see what I'm going through? 
Why can't they get that I need help sometimes? Why can't I be the, the focus of, of the need sometimes? And hopefully, guys, sometimes you are. And hopefully, sometimes you are really picked up. But, but Paul had been to Philippi many times. Incidentally, he is discipling. These. Sometimes we think the person that is discipling me needs to live next to me so I can see what time they get up. I can smell the smells coming out of their kitchen. I can hear when they yell at their kids. So I can really examine every detail of their life, right? Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi from Rome in captivity in jail. He's 800 miles away when he writes from a jail cell. Rejoice in the Lord again. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice in the Lord. So don't think that your discipler necessarily has to live next door or you have to be in contact with them daily. Paul's life encouraged the Philippians from afar. And so here he is. Rather than as he's in a jail cell and and no one has sent help to him and he's been abandoned, he doesn't say, what is your problem, church at Philippi? Get with the program. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says this, every time I think about you guys, I thank God for you. He doesn't chastise. He does not lecture He does not nag. His real attitude, so transformed by Jesus Christ, is this. Guys, every time I think about the church at Philippi, I thank God for you. Now, it's true they'd helped him financially, and it's true that they'd been in his life in a lot of ways. Remember, he was put in jail there, and he did have moments where the church ministered to him, but now he's afar off from them and alone, and nobody sent help. And he's saying to them, guys, every time I think about you, I thank God for you. Now, if, if you're not in the Bible in a regular way, we, we should all be in the Bible in a regular way so that when we read Philippians chapter 1 and we understand Paul's situation, his life, even today, is a life that we emulate. And we're obeying Philippians 3.17, uh, which is what we start off. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The keep your eyes phrase is a running phrase. It's a, it's a sprinter whose eyes in a laser-like matter, manner is fixed on the finish line. And so they are putting every effort, every, all of their energy into the finish line. They understand they have to give everything up to that point, and they keep their eyes fixed on that. Uh, and so if you've ever run a race and you approach a finish line, you understand how laser-like you can focus on that, and everything else can go away as you kind of are like, okay, i got to get through this to the end. So, uh, but, but he's saying here, keep your eyes fixed on my example. And we should keep our eyes fixed on, our example, on his example. Why don't people express their thanks to me? Philippians 1.4, he doesn't ask that question. Um, I often doubt that God is still at work on my behalf. Do you ever have that attitude? God, if you're real, why can't I feel and see what you're doing in my life right now? From jail, Philippians 1.6, Paul wrote, I am confident of this very thing, that he who started doing a work in your life will be faithful to perform the work until you see him. He hasn't gone anywhere. So we learn from Paul 
while he could have doubted that he was still confident that God was at work. I don't know what situation you're facing, but if you've been doubting that God's still at work in your life, learn from Paul. And let the words of Philippians 1.6 be so real in your life that you understand that he is at work making you in the image of Jesus Christ. And he's going to keep doing that until you see him. Maybe we say, well, my best days of serving God are behind me, and man, I got nothing to do right now. I have nothing that I can do right now except pray. Many parents of children, especially adult children, are in this camp. Boy, I have to do something more than prayer. Paul, from a jail cell, writes about the joy of this. I'm just going to keep praying for you. When you have prayed, you have done all you can do. Don't think that prayer is all you can do as if it's a second or third or fourth thing you should do. When you have truly prayed for the people around you, learn this, you aren't out of control, you aren't powerless, you are calling on the power of the one who can really do it, finally. And often God puts us in places like jails and hospital beds so that we start actually crying out and realizing there is literally nothing you should be doing except crying out to God for help. And Paul teaches us that in Philippians chapter 1. I could go on and on and on and on of the lessons that Paul is teaching us because his life has been transformed. And it's not just that he's gotten with the program. It's his very character of who he is is different because he loves Jesus. And so he is now straining and pressing on to know Jesus Christ and to, uh, to live in the power of his resurrection and to share in the suffering that Jesus did while he was on this earth. Maybe you're afraid of death. When we think about the end of this body, which we're going to look at in just a minute, I think, man, what is going to happen as this body keeps breaking down? Paul was facing execution from the jail cell. And we learned from his example as a young man who had plenty of reason to live and, and full of health and been through trouble after trouble, in Philippians chapter 1, he said, even if I faith death, he said, look, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Think about that. We spend our lives and we live in a world where that is all that the people around us do is spend their lives and resources trying to prolong their life. Last night, my family and I sat down, and we had a little time finally yesterday to kind of connect. And so what does every family do? But watch a DVR uh, of the Shark Tank. So we were watching Shark Tank last night. And so the product that they were putting out on Shark Tank, and basically, to make a long story short, they're trying to make inventions and get funding on TV for their invention. All right? So this person last night in the one we were watching was trying to, they, they had this little plastic thing that you wear in your mouth to make the lines of your lips go away. And I suppose if the, the aging lines go away for, for a time, God bless you. You're going to get lines. It's going to happen. And we fight, and we get money, and we make products to try to make these bodies look a little bit better, a little bit longer. God bless you as you try to do that. But we're all going to die. The wages of sin is death. It is appointed unto a man once to die. Look as good as you can when you die. I'm all for that. 
But let's live like this, who Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, I want to know what it looks like to live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to live like that power is real and true. I want to live as if I believe that I am as close to destruction as I will ever be in this world right now, but because I can live in a resurrection kind of way, my next step is going to be up. It's going to be right. It's going to be better. I want to live as if heaven is a reality, and I live like that because Jesus Christ is real, and, and we're, start, we're learning it in Paul. He said, look, uh, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. When I have to decide, should I stay or should I go? I don't know. I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place when i got to make that choice. Because both of those options are so good. Now, I know when someone goes from this place, all of us have broken hearts. And I'm not making light of that. One day, those who trust Christ Jesus, we will be reunited in heaven. And we long to be reunited in the presence of Christ. And and in that moment, do you know you'll be different than you are now? I live with like some sin stuff in my life that I'm blinded to, that I'm not overcoming. That's crazy. When I am with Jesus, I will be better than I've ever been before. And many of you will rejoice that I'm finally better than I was on the earth. But that's the promise we have. That's the motivation we have to keep going. As we... As we uh, imitate the, the example that we see in Paul, Paul was not afraid of death. Well, what, what about this? I've got a disagreement with another Christian in the church. I believe Jesus is Christ. I believe he is Lord. I believe he is king. I believe he can do anything. But I can't get along with this girl at church or this guy at church. And listen, my kids see that. Dad, you told me that God is the God of peace. You taught me as much as it's within your power to get along with everybody, make peace with the people around you. But I hear you and mom talking about A, B, or C. It's not real in your life. You're really confusing me because I need an example before me when I say, when we say that Christianity is upside down and we give to get and we, and we, uh, we die to live, we say all those things, and I want it to be true in you, dad, or I want it to be true in you, discipler. I want, it to, I want to see it in real life. But you're saying this And you're doing that. You're killing me. And now I have no example to look to. Now, I'm not saying your kids will reject Jesus because of your example. But let's turn that up on its head. Don't you want your kids and the people around you to come to Jesus because of the increasing peace and obedience? The increasing belief that heaven is real? the increasing understanding that at the end of every day we want to open our Bibles or the beginning of every day and we want to be transformed and made different because Jesus is real. That at some point after five years or 10 years or 12 years, you say to the people around you, follow Christ as I am following Christ. I'm not perfect. And where my life deviates from Christ, don't follow. But listen, Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, man, I want to put a model out before you. A couple more examples and we'll move on. This is mostly because I believe family is the best way for for us to see these things. Um, So we know that we should be content. 
how are, you, how are the people around you learning what contentedness looks like by looking at you? Not needing something more from God to be happy, receiving what he's already given you. And your heart is at rest. It's at rest. You're content with what God's provided you. What about impurity? Dad, mom, accountability partner guy, friend, you taught me that Jesus is pure. What are you doing in your life to live out real purity? To hate impurity. To stop letting your eyes look at that which is not appropriate. We say we believe he's pure, and in all of our life, we need to be pursuing purity so that when our kids examine and when the people around us examine the nitty-gritty details of our life, they see it's real. There's a true transformation happening. How about how to do God's will alone? How to stand when it's hard, when you're all by yourself? And not just doing it at work and keeping it to yourself, but coming home and learning how to unpack that. Or Wednesday night at men's ministry, learning how to talk about that and what it looks like and training the people around you to do it too. How to get up after failing. You're going to fail. Listen, if there's anything that the Christian should master, it's how to get up after failing. Because all of these things we talk about, none of us will do it perfectly. So we should master being able to live in the mercy that Christ provides in the wake of needing to ask forgiveness again and ask forgiveness from the people around us again. Are you doing that? Because listen, all the people of, of this church and your, your kids, and we all need to be seeing this kind of transformation taking place. And then we need to be humble enough to, to look at the example of the people around us and say, well, I, I want to emulate Christ the way he or she is doing it and to start watching. And let me just really encourage you. You've got to choose your discipler. You've got to look at that. Now, now, that's not to say that you come up to them because this is always a hard conversation. Come on, hey, listen, I see this in your life. Can you be my discipler? Can you be my accountability partner? That's a hard conversation for most people to have. Don't have that conversation. Can I take you out for coffee? That's a good conversation. Paul lived out his life faithfully and said, follow me as I follow Christ. And again, 800 miles away, they had a piece of paper that said, I'm going I'm I'm to continue. I'm going to continue following Christ. So it doesn't have to be this formal every week. It doesn't have to be this, you know, call me up, you know, text me when there's a... It doesn't have to be all of that. It has to be set the example of true transformation that is based on Jesus Christ and not the church program and show me what it looks like and then let's live in relationship with one another. Let me open my life up to you. And you open your life up to me. For the purpose, being like Jesus. It's what your kid wants. It's what your wife wants. It's what this church wants. It's what Paul wants. It's what Jesus wants. And so we choose, our, choose the person that we are uh, aiming at based on their faithfulness to Christ, all right? So there's some examples of what not to follow. Or let me just say it this way, as we're still on number one, how to choose an example to follow. If we don't choose an example, we will drift. 
If we don't set out to purposefully make ourselves more like Jesus by following those who are becoming more like Jesus, we will become less like Jesus. So there's not this option to just be like, well, you know, whatever, I'll just uh, figure it out. I'll just kind of kick through. It's no big deal. No, we've got to be purposeful about being transformed. So Paul's an example, and people in this church that are following after Christ is an example. But if we don't have an example before us, we will drift. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. See that word walk? Oh, man. Everybody's walking somewhere. And so our example, or our discipler, is walking. And we saw that in verse 17. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And, and incidentally, let me just say that um, discipleship works best in community. Do you see that in verse 17? There's a group of us. He's talking about Epaphroditus and Timothy. Follow the example you have in us. Paul was the example afar off. Timothy was the example very close. Epaphroditus is a guy that he's writing about in this text, and basically he'd been sick, almost died. And Timothy, or excuse me, Paul is writing back to the church saying, oh man, Epaphroditus, he's so great. Thanks for sending him. And he's going to be okay. He's going to pull through. And so follow his example, right? So uh, discipleship works really well, guys, in a, in a group. And so again, now in verse 18, we're talking about this drift. Many whom I have often told you about, and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. And so they're walking away from Christ. They do not want what Christ provides. It's almost as if he's setting up a kind of an, uh, a comparison, and there's a lot of us versus them in this passage, and that's not for the purpose of judging them. That's for the purpose of showing Christians that there are two diametrically opposed ways to live life. And, and I have found, that there are many times when we want to make those ways of life as close as we can. Following Christ and following the world, make them as close as we possibly can so that we don't make these big distinctions that people have to make sacrifices to be one or the other. I want to keep following my worldly ways, but add a little Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Paul's saying the, the ways we walk are diametrically opposed to one another. Either you're walking to the cross or you hate the cross. Either you're walking with and for and toward Jesus or you're walking away from Jesus. And he's saying that these enemies of the cross are walking away. They're enemies of the cross. Their their end is destruction. You know what your end is if you're in Christ Jesus? He's going to point this out in just a minute. Your end is full of hope. But the one who's walking away, their future, guys, it's set. It's destruction. It's not a good next step. They're living in this world, and this is as, as good a place as they'll ever be. This is as good as it gets. For you and for me, we see our lives uh, shortened or, or, or uh, limited. We see our bodies failing. We see the trouble around us growing. And, and, and in Christ Jesus, we are so thankful that this is not everything, that there's a heaven to come. The people in the world around us, they make God, their, their God is their belly. That just means they don't want to submit to God. They want to do whatever they want to do. And they're going to serve themselves. And if we're not careful, there will be people in our midst who has their 
The belly is the God who will try to convince us that their model is okay because of grace. And Paul is saying it's not okay. That in our midst, we need people walking to Jesus and with Jesus. And when we live like this enemy of the cross, we're doing our own thing, going our own way. Our end is destruction. Our, our bellies are our gods. We do whatever we want, whenever we want. And our minds, they glory in their shame. That means, that means they basically, they make wrong right, and they make right wrong. They're happy to talk about their sin and try to tell everybody around them who would call them on it that, that they're crazy. And they have their, their minds set on, on earthly things. And guys, when we talk about people like this, enemies of the cross, we should be very aware that they're out there, but we don't talk about them to judge them. We don't talk about them to nag them. We don't uh, uh, announce to them that just because Jesus is our Lord that they should follow after it. Listen, anyone following after the ways of the world is not going to want to follow after Christ just because you're following after Christ. In other words, only if they're redeemed, only if they're brothers, according to verse 17, only if they have a conversion experience with Jesus will they want to be shown how to follow the model that you're living. Other than that, they don't want God. And, they, and you can't convince them or talk them into that. They need to be converted to Jesus Christ before they want to learn how to follow him. So it's really important that we're not mocking them and we're not nagging them and we're not judging them. Paul writes about them, how? With tears. That we live in a kind of world who could drift in such a way that They've walked away. And that they're enemies of the cross. And that their end is destruction. And those are the kind of people that Paul is praying for. Oh God, intervene in their lives. Grandma, you're never going to convince your grandkids through your words and nagging that they should follow Jesus. You're going to convince them through your example. You're going to convince them through your absolutely contented love of Jesus day after day, through your being a citizenship. And this is our motivation. So we look at number two, this lifetime motivation to follow after Jesus is this. Listen, you and I were citizens of heaven. The, the picture here is that we live in a colonial kind of day where God has dropped his colony in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. He's dropped his his nation here. And so we're not citizens of the United States first and foremost, though we step into that role too. We are first and foremost citizens of heaven and we're living a different kind of way of life in the midst of the USA. Showing the people around us as a group, follow us, follow our example, what it looks like for us to love each other and be transformed by the work of Jesus Christ. And we are not, as we go, more and more um, uh, tempted to follow after the example of the world because we have chosen to fix our eyes like a runner approaching the finish line on other people who are also following Jesus ahead of us. That's what we're focused on. And we're not going to be drawn away to be a worldly kind of church, to be a, a worldly kind of called out ones where we lose 
the sense of concentration on Jesus. And so that's what he's saying here when he says, look, you're a citizen of heaven. It's rare that he uses this word citizen. It's very, in fact, this is the only time I think he, he uses the word in the New Testament. The people of Philippi really, really understood the word because in Philippi, they were not only, lots of people there were, were Jewish people, but they were also dual citizenship. They were citizens of Rome. And so they had rights and privileges, and they looked to Caesar as their king, and they looked to Caesar for help, and they were very proud in the city of Philippi that they had dual citizenship and could go both ways in terms of we can go to Jerusalem, and we can go to Rome, and we're all good. And Paul turns it on his head and says, don't live like that. Don't step into your earthly few little little, uh, vaporous kind of living. Step into your citizenship in heaven. Because true and right citizens of heaven will make the best citizens of the United States of America. And true and right citizens of heaven will make the best citizens of Philippi and everywhere else. Because we are working to show love and care. And these enemies of the cross, we don't hate them and nag them. We love them and want to see them converted. And we write about them to one another, not to talk behind their back or because there's some new Christian subculture that's cooler than them. We write about them and talk about them with tears, longing for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Listen, the people who are drifting in this world, they can't wait. They want to have everything they can have right now. And so they live for whatever pleasure they can get right now. Their stomach, their belly, their desires, that's their God. They want it right now. Citizens of heaven, you wait. You wait for the perfect and all-encompassing and perfectly uh, fulfilling existence. It's yet to come. That's not to say we don't have a fulfilling life here as we serve Jesus. We have a fulfilling life here, but we are waiting for a Savior who is coming from heaven to redeem us from this place. We don't give up, kick back, and just say, okay, well, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. We engage now in this world of the enemies of the cross kind of living because we want to call them into the colony of heaven, call them into the place of transformation. Citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Man, I made a list, long list, of how decrepit these bodies are. They're broken and breaking. A couple things, words that I saw that, that the New Testament describes our bodies at. Here we go. Our bodies are characterized in this world by fallenness, Weakness, corruptibility, mortality, frailty, suffering, sorrow, vanity, and death. The people of this world, enemies of the cross, are hanging on to those bodies for dear life. You await a Savior. You await a Savior who's going to take that body that we just described and there is going to be a glorious, permanent, eternal transformation of your body and your body will experience 
you will experience this transformation where you will have a new, glorious, physical body which is characterized by perfection, strength, endless days, health, joy, glory for God, and for the first time ever, true living. I want to meet some of you as I want you to meet me in heaven devoid of the sinful nature that I carry around in this body. Talk about motivation to change. Talk about motivation to find someone who's teaching you how to live like that now. As people who've been following Christ Jesus and experiencing some of life's troubles and pressing in to who Jesus has has taught them that he is day after day as, uh, again, Philippians 3 talks about when it comes to Paul. So, guys, a real quick uh, example, or excuse me, a real quick comparison, that the opponents of the gospel, for them, uh, their earth, or this earth is their home. This is their colony. This is everything they have. Their citizenship is, is right here, and so they're living for it. Of course they are. So we show them together, this group of called out, because our colony, our citizenship is in heaven. The best is yet to come. It's not here yet. Their minds are always set on earthly things, and you are regularly thinking about heaven and the heavenly things. The most, uh, the, the person that will change earth the most is the one that's thinking about heaven. Because as we think and live for heaven, we're going to live out the character of Jesus in this world, and we're going to have opportunities to serve and care and, and, and invent and make a difference in the lives of the people around us. We're going to change this world if our minds are in heaven. They're living for the present only. We are awaiting a Savior. Their highest hopes are on their earthly bodies, and we know that our earthly bodies are weak, but our heavenly bodies will be perfect. They are enemies of the cross, and you and I are clinging to the hope we have because of the cross. For them, this earth is as good as it gets. It's as close to heaven as they will ever get. And for us, this earth earth is fallen. And it's cursed. It was good, but there's a curse on it. And we're waiting for that curse to be completely reversed. And this is as close to destruction as you will ever get. Their end will be destruction. Our end will be that our weak bodies will be gloriously transformed. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And listen, we need to see a human example of what it looks like for this kind of truth to be lived out. Your kids need to see it. People in your adult Bible fellowships need to see it. People in your life group need to see it. The people you greet after the service need to see it. A changed life that is based on the work that Christ has done and so that they can examine it and say, look, I've always been anxious. How can I not be anxious anymore? Well, Let the life of Jesus live in you. I've always been angry. How can I put away my anger? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and let me show you how to live like that. And we need to see these lives transformed into the image of Jesus. Right now in this world, because joining in the lifestyles of those who are enemies of the cross is absolute treason against our risen Savior. The church is a little colony of heaven dwellers. 
that is called to live in Sheboygan and, and Philippi and Jerusalem and Rome, a completely otherworldly kind of life that can be examined by the people around us and that points to Jesus and says, in the midst of this world that is decaying and falling apart, I choose Jesus. And it's made every difference in every area of my life. Guys, I long for us to be a church where we can get in in each other's lives like that. Where I can learn from you and you can learn from me. Where we are with one another and and encouraging one another. Where we entrust each other and, and, and we don't say, I can figure this out on my own because that's what the USA has taught me. I'm supposed to figure this out on my own. But instead we humble ourselves and say, look, I... I've been trying to figure that out on my own for a long time. It just hasn't been happening. Help me out. Help a brother out. I need to change. And we begin to show each other how to be more like Jesus. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Lord, this is a risk for every one of us to have our lives lived in such a way that they're examinable. Lord, I pray for those that have been following you for a long time to realize that to to say to one another, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, is not arrogant. It's humble. It's the ultimate expression of humility to say, I don't have the answers, but this I know. If the mountains fall, my eyes will continue to be fixed on Jesus. He is my hope. And so you are teaching us to live life. We are not inventing new ways to live life and then saying everybody should do it my way. We are committed to your way together. And so help us. Help us as dads and moms and grandparents to pray and and have our our lives and minds changed by the working of of Jesus in our heart and life. And help us, Lord, to uh, teach the next generation how to walk with Jesus. Help us put on display lives of humility for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of your Son. Help us show the world around us, even through tears, that we love them and long for them to no longer be enemies of the cross, walking to a future destruction, but instead to cling to the cross and be awaiting the same, resurre- the same uh, appearing that we will see when Jesus comes. And so we commit to you our hearts and our desire to see these things come. In Jesus' name, amen.